Someone who talks as much as I do gets told that they should be a lawyer from an early age. So I think that that was something people had told me when I was a little girl, but I didn't know how to do that or what that looked like. And then some of my friends at Dartmouth were taking the LSAT, so I took that. I'm good at standardized tests, so I did well. But I think I wisely thought maybe I should work for a little bit and get out of the bubble. As a kid, Amy Harmon Burkard wanted to be a lawyer like you see on TV with the courtroom lawyering and criminal procedure. After law school, she honed in on being a federal prosecutor and set herself up to be in the right place at the right time. Timing, though, is a funny thing, and a couple of roadblocks and other experiences came up first. Find out how staying true to yourself can sometimes steer you to the original dream after all on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Amy Harmon Burkert, and we are going to talk about back and forths and taking the lead in many domains. And we'll see where this, I'm sure it's going to be far reaching. So Amy, thanks so much for being here. It's awesome to talk to you. All right. So I start these interviews the same way with each of our guests. And I ask two questions. They are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? I showed up at Dartmouth pretty much the same person I am now, but with a lot of growing along the way. <laughs> so I, um, I've i listened to the podcast. My friends have done them. It's been really fun to hear the stories and the journeys of our classmates. So thank you for doing this. And I knew the question was coming. So I thought about it and decided that in many ways, I'm exactly the same person I've always been, for better or worse. <laughs> I would think um, maybe a pretty genuine person. I think I just had a lot. I was very naive when I came to school. I was uh, very well loved, but I had not traveled so much. I hadn't been to many places. I didn't have much exposure to many of the things that some of my classmates were very familiar with. I had my first kiss at Dartmouth, my first beer at Dartmouth, and all of the growing that I did in those years was really awesome. But I was still the same person, and I still am the same person again, maybe for better or worse at times. I still have costume bins in perfectly labeled and organized in my basement and color-coded bin system for different holidays. And it's often pillaged for uh, high school parties now that I have teenagers, but I still use them myself for whenever I can find out that there's a theme party going on, I'm there, which I am pretty sure was me at 17 and 18 too. And frankly, that was me in high school. But when we were in school, I would say to the kids, things were really hard in the 80s, mostly like when we we're watching Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> so right. I didn't like aliens or anything, but you know, you it was much more segmented who you were, right? You If you were a nerd and I was a athlete, but I was a runner. So that's a nerd athlete. So if you were a nerd, you were the nerd and you didn't get, it's not like I was turning down beers. I didn't get invited to the parties with the beers. I was babysitting and studying and running and doing these other things. And I felt like at Dartmouth, I got to be all more fully me. Um, and I keep being me. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say you are is uber organized, but with a mean streak of fun. So that's kind of what I remember. And that seems, <laughs> that seems to be right. So where did the thought about who you would not, not so much the values and the kind of intrinsic who you are, but how that would manifest in the real world outside of those four years? When did you start thinking about what that was going to look like? Again, I think it's probably 
all along, this is kind of what I would have wanted to do. The path that I took to get where I am is, you know, maybe the plan B used to be a joke that, um, you know, not in the contraceptive sense, but in the sense of um, maybe not always taking the most linear path that my friends made when I was in college and that I think continues to this day sometimes in terms of, um, I think I'm going to get to this certain place. Uh, It doesn't go the way I think. I'm relatively tenacious. That's probably also a quality that I've always had. And so I still ultimately get there, but like, wow, that was an interesting journey. So I have ended up kind of exactly where I would have, I think, hoped. And it's kind of cool. You know, when I was a federal prosecutor, uh, people would say sometimes as a joke in the elevator, when someone say, how are you? They say, oh, living the dream. And I remember thinking, I mean, literally, this is like actually literally my dream. I live in the nicest suburb that any of my cousins lived in. And I have a better Jeep Wrangler than the one that I had when I was in high school. And it is full of my husband and my three kids and my black lab. And I love my job. And I wanted to be a trial lawyer like you see on TV. And that's what I got to do. So that's all super awesome. And I'm blessed and grateful that that has worked out. And I have wonderful friends and awesome family, but also like life is hard and all kinds of crazy things happened along the way and are continuing to happen. (laughs) I got a call from my teenage daughter, like three minutes before this started. And she's like, can you talk? And I was like, oh no, I'll call you back. (laughs) So there's going to be some situation that's going to maybe involve, I don't know, you know, kids, who knows? Uh, It's either like a total crisis or she wants to borrow the car. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I hope the car. (laughs) Uh, So all of this is amazing. I love that you're living the dream. But how did you have such a big dream? Because I, I think particularly when I've talked to other people, like we didn't really even have visions or like mental models of all the things we could possibly do. And a federal prosecutor does not compute with my 18 year old self of knowing that that's a thing. So where did that come from? Or was it that big? Or was it a no, it was it was I mean, I don't know that I knew that term or what that was. But I wanted to be a lawyer like you see on TV, I thought would be cool, like a courtroom lawyer. And Murder, She Wrote was like my favorite show, along with Golden Girls. I was didn't mention I was a little bit of a nerd. And when I say was, I mean, am. So I think that kind of, I think I probably thought of what is now, what turns out to be an ADA would have been the kind of thing that I wanted to do or a defense lawyer, which I've also, you know, been in and out of working at big law firms. And I've also taught adjunct at law schools. So that world of courtroom lawyering and criminal procedure and that type of thing was, I think, something I saw on TV or in the movies. I certainly didn't know anyone that was any of those things, but it looked really cool. Yeah, yeah. So you said that this kind of road to get there kind of has these loops and goes back and forth and things. But when did you decide law school? Was that a direct after or did that take you a while? It wasn't. Someone who talks as much as I do gets told that they should be a lawyer from an early (laughs) age. So I think that that was something people had told me when I was a little girl, but I never, I didn't know how to do that or what that looked like. And then some of my friends at Dartmouth were taking the LSAT. So I took that, but I prepared for it. Like I waitressed the summer before, you know, I, I have a very blue collar background. So I waitressed the summer before senior year. I didn't really even understand why people would get internships or what that looked like because I could make a lot more money waitressing. So I waitressed and I ordered some old um, LSAT 
like tests and I would take them on the beach. And then I'm good at standardized tests, so I did well. And I thought that's cool, I could go to law school, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I think I wisely thought maybe I should work for a little bit and get out of the bubble. And I did that and moved to Boston. And that's kind of where I realized that I came from such a small place. You know, when I went to Dartmouth, it was another small town. And so I didn't realize how many of the people around me had experiences that were so much richer and cooler <laughs> and bigger than I had known about. And um, that, so that was another bubble. When I came back to Boston, I kept running into my cousins in bars, right? I have a big Irish Catholic family and I felt like it was really small. And that's when I decided after working for two years that I would go to law school and I would go to New York City because that seemed like the biggest, baddest place one could move. And I thought it would be fun to explore being in New York. And so I went to NYU and then I kept staying, you know, another year, another year, another year. And I ended up being almost 10 years in New York. Wow. Okay. And directly into kind of the criminal side of things? Yeah. Um, no. Oh, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> uh, I worked at a big law firm and I was in the white collar practice there. And it was a big, sophisticated firm that had a white collar practice, um, global firm, where I felt like in some ways I was Eliza Doolittle of the firm. You know, I was a little like Red Sox <laughs> fan and they had like double carpeted hallways. Everything was very quiet. And I was like loudly barreling around. Um, but I worked with some amazing attorneys who had formerly been federal prosecutors. And that's where I understood that, okay, assistant U.S. attorney is a federal prosecutor and that's the type of work that they do. And that would be what I would really like to do. That sort of like honed in on my dream while I was there. But, you know, so bumpy roads, right? I didn't go there right away um, to law school. And part of that was because I had the small bubble. And part of it was because, you know, I, I was kind of stuck a little bit in the Dartmouth world because I had started dating controversially at the time, although less so now, a freshman when I was a senior. Ooh. And that ended up like still happening. So that kind of kept me like a little back and forth into that world. Hmm. And then I moved to New York and loved that. And he moved to New York and then we broke up. And then later we got back together. <laughs> so now we have got three kids and the controversy of our ages is still brought up, I would say, every couple weeks. So <laughs> it's we're really past it. <laughs> but no, I, I was at a big law firm and I decided that I wanted to be an AUSA. And I was working with a lot of former AUSAs who had really good connections in the Southern District of New York. And so I thought that would be great. I could apply for a job there. That would increase my chances of getting it. I explained that to my husband and he explained that he wanted to go to business school. And then I also thought I wanted to have a kid when we we're going to do that. So we kind of worked out a plan where I would try to have a baby and then we would go to business school. And I said, he could go wherever he wanted to go. And then I was hoping we could maybe move to Boston for the rest of our lives. And he was receptive to that. Uh, he's from Toronto. That was his first choice, but I couldn't practice in Toronto. So, mm. but then I couldn't be in AUSA. So we went to, um, back to Dartmouth. He went to Tuck and I taught at Vermont Law School and I had another baby. And then we came back to Boston and the U.S. Attorney's Office wasn't hiring. There was a federal hiring freeze. And so Oof. I went to a law firm again, waited for a couple of years, and then they lifted the freeze and I applied again and or I applied for the first time, but um, long after I decided that that's what I would want to do. And I got the job then and I stayed there for 10 years. I was in the cybercrime unit the whole time. And when I left, I was chief of the cybercrime unit and got to do some amazing work, both in the cyberspace and national security space. I did cross-office team that I co-led that did human trafficking 
work primarily was a criminal civil rights, um, but in Massachusetts, that's primarily sex trafficking and some labor trafficking. So I got to do that type of work. I did economic crimes. I really had a very rich experience there and it was exactly what I hoped it would be. And I loved it. I just, you know, got there years after I thought I would, because I thought that path would happen in New York and it happened, you know, in a couple steps along the way where I also got to like teach in Vermont and work in another law firm and have another experience there and support my husband being where he wanted to be. So that was great. And I bring that up regularly that I supported him and got to do what he wanted to do. It's, so, you know, it's teamwork. Exactly. My turn. Okay. And so when that assistant U.S. attorney. AUSA. Yeah. Assistant yes. U.S. attorney. Yeah. When that assistant U.S. attorney job came up, was, could it have been in Boston? Was it in Boston? Yeah. 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 So every, yes. There, okay. there are um, U.S. attorneys every district in the country and um, Massachusetts has one. And then everyone who works for them as an assistant U.S. attorney. So federal prosecutor, I worked closely with the Department of Justice lawyers in the cyber crime and intellectual property section. Um, and I also worked nationwide with the other cyber lawyers. So that was really fun. We had a great nationwide network. And yes, that was right out of Boston. And then after 10 years, I left again and went back into private practice and found that the cyber world and private practice was much more narrow and focused on um, either incident response, cyber incident response, or privacy laws. And I really had enjoyed having a, a broad background of different things. And so I certainly had done ransomware cases and cyber incident response and um, nation state actor stuff, but it was very narrow in private practice and COVID, you know, that was the worst. Turns out I'm an extrovert. And so working at a law firm after leaving like this whole group of people, I was used to very collaborative investigations and agents and other prosecutors and a lot of buzz. And we worked right in the courthouse and I loved that. And then all of a sudden I was like working out of one of my kids' bedrooms and I hated that part of it. I was very isolated. And then one of my kids got um, very sick, had a serious illness and he's doing awesome now. And that's in our rear view mirror, but that led me to take a step back and decide to go back to the government. And so now I'm a trial attorney at the um, Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC in Boston, but I work around the country, including most of my cases right now are in the Southern District of New York. That's kind of fun because that brought me right back to um, where I thought it would be, you know, if I was applying to be an AUSA there. Now I'm working with the prosecutors that, you know, just sort of like 10 years ago, I thought I would maybe do that. And I kind of did it in a circuitous way. Yes. Okay. So that sounds amazing, but that does not sound to me like stepping back or having kind of a I don't know what the structure is, but to to make a change for a family crisis and that sort of thing, it sounds like a very big job. <laughs> how, how does that work exactly? He's doing great now. I stepped okay. back and took some time off okay. um, when my family needed me, but it, it, we are now through that. The right. And so you use the stepping back as also a time to recalibrate and say, what do I really want? And then made the shift. Exactly. I had been thinking that it wasn't a great fit for me where I was, but there was a clarifying aspect to one of your kids being sick and your family needing you. And also getting out of something that you're in that you are telling yourself is going to be okay, right? It comes back to like maybe how everybody's good things or there are bad things. And as I mentioned, I self-reflective enough to know that I'm very tenacious and that can be a really good thing. And when misapplied, that can be a bad thing. And I had 
set a goal and I was going to do it. And it was hard for me to see, actually, this is not what I had hoped it would be. It's not working. I need to readjust. I, you know, being hardworking and focused on achieving your goals isn't good if your goals need to change. And so I adjusted my goals and have been incredibly happy in this role. And it's not like there's a lack of really interesting cyber stuff going on at the federal level these days. <laughs> no, it's totally fun. I mean, I was here less than a year and was, you know, co-leading the FTX investigation and litigation work with another Dartmouth alum in Chicago and one of my good friends in the attorney's office who moved here. And that type of work, working with witnesses, working on investigations, working with uh, the agents and the people who really dedicate their lives to like figuring out tricky problems, that has always been the most fun work. So I feel really privileged to be able to go back and do it. Yeah, collaborative with that kind of extrovert spirit and the nerd part, like this seems really <laughs> in your wheelhouse. In your wheelhouse. Awesome. So when, Amy, you think back to, you say that you haven't changed, that you're still the same Amy, you feel as though, if you were to go back to the younger Amy and say to her, hey, look, look at this whole trajectory and where we are, would she have like gone, oh, I didn't really think that was possible and be excited about that? Would she not believe you? What would what would she say? She'd probably be, you know, quite excitable. She always was. Um, <laughs> I think I wouldn't be. My life is very different than certainly you know, kind of like in a socioeconomic way than anything that I was even aware existed when I was a kid. And that part, I think I would have thought was hilarious. I mean, I first started skiing when our junior high had a program where you could go to the Blue Hills, which is like right outside of Boston, and you could pay $10. And I skied in jeans with sunglasses and like a scarf wrapped around me. And only one person I knew had dedicated ski pants, which I thought was like the fanciest thing ever, right? And now my kid's like, drop into the trees at Deer Valley in Alta and they're like buzzing around. And I'm like, you know, you guys are total spoiled. <laughs> this is crazy. So I don't think I even knew that those were places that people skied or things that happened. And I think I would have probably been psyched. Like I'd be like, wait, that's your house. That's awesome. <laughs> I would have been very happy about how it all turned out. But, you know, again, along the way, it's it's hard. It's hard to have three kids. It's, you know, my dog is beautiful and I love her. And I also had to get allergy shots every day for two years because oh. it turned out I was like wildly allergic to her. And then she ate Tylenol one day and she almost died. And we spent $7,000 like <laughs> having her like restored to health. And I was like despondent and crying every day. And my husband's like, you didn't even like the dog. I'm like, it turns out I love the dog. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, life is like rich and often kind of gritty and sometimes like really scary, but through it all, I have had awesome family, awesome friends, and you know, whenever I can manage to do it, a lot of a lot of goofy fun along the way. Well, that is fabulous, and I love the goofy fun, and I love the gratitude. I think both probably serve you daily, um, probably both in work and a busy home life. And so, Amy, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. I really appreciate your being here. You're welcome. It was really fun to talk with you. And thanks for doing this. It's a really great way to stay connected with people. That was Amy Harmon Burkert, a litigation specialist who's been associated with many esteemed law firms and has a variety of experiences in the law. Her dreams of serving as a federal prosecutor came true when she served as an assistant United States attorney for nearly a decade 
was the chief of the Cybercrime Unit. She's currently a trial attorney at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. She lives with her husband and kids in the Boston area and is always up for a fun time, so call her if the need for a costume box should arise. We're always up for a good time, too, and delight in bringing you the full range of life's experiences with our guests each week. Please continue tuning in at rosetakenshow.com or wherever you find your podcasts. And do consider following, subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. It will hopefully help bring new listeners to my guest and me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on Roads Take.